Well, we are continuing in our series. This is the ninth uh, week that we've been in Second Timothy. I told you when you started, if you're a slow reader, this series is perfect for you. Because um, we're going to take a long time getting through these, these chapters. Just so much good stuff in here. And today, we're going to talk about the Bible. Uh, so if, you're, if you've got your Bible, you can start finding Second Timothy chapter 3. Becky and I, my wife, and I just got back from, honestly, a really outstanding vacation. I don't mean to brag, but we had a great time. We we rode bikes. We're not very active normally, so it was kind of unusual for us. We rode bikes, and we walked and hiked and kayaked and swam and snorkeled. And we just had some truly sort of bucket list level experiences uh, while we were away. God was really good to us. The weather cooperated. He just showered us with Kindness and unique opportunities over and over. Really, really feel blessed by our time away. Well, where we went, the water is warm and inviting, and uh, but we also learned the ocean can be a little tricky at times. It's it's one thing to swim against waves, which is challenging, but even in calm waters, you're you're always moving. I discovered. You you put on a snorkel mask and you're you're enjoying God's. Creatures, amazing variety, uh, and then you lift your head and you realize you're not where you started. You've uh, you've moved. Uh, there's currents. There's a drift, uh, and unless you swim against it, uh, you may find yourself far from your starting point, or possibly even in a in a dangerous spot. Well, life has currents as well. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's always movement in academics and and culture, and media, and so on. It's even true in matters of faith and theology. We're always moving, always drifting, and it's not always obvious whether it's for the better or for the worse. Um, And it can be really confusing. Um, You you know, how do you know when something legitimately needs to, to change versus getting caught up in the drift away from truth? Some of you are... Some of us were raised with, with things that were completely forbidden in our, in our youth, but now it's okay to do. I, when I was a kid, I was not allowed to go see movies. But, but now I, it's no problem. So, you know, things change and you think, okay, what, how do I know when I'm drifting away from truth and when things are just changing because they change? We, we, we need to know how to keep ourselves from drifting into even dangerous places. One evening on our vacation, Becky and I went out on a boat uh, for a night snorkel, a nighttime snorkel. And honestly, it was fun. We swam with these guys. I got a picture of a manta ray. That thing was like, like, it made just inches away from us as we we're swimming. It was really, really remarkable experience. So the boat took us out into the bay. And, and what do you suppose the crew did um, before we got in the water? What would the crew do in the boat before we get in the water? They dropped anchor. They dropped anchor. Um, and why would they do that? Well, they do that so the boat stays in one spot while we swim around in the current. Well, in today's uh, passage in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul will remind Timothy of a strong kind of two-part or two-pronged anchor for your soul in the currents of life. The anchor is... Two things. It's the the security of friendship with godly people and the security of God's word, the Bible. So we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 10. If you've got that with you, I invite you to stand 
for the reading of God's word. Second Timothy, chapter three, starting at verse 10. Paul writes this. After he's spoken about some really uh, terrible things about false teachers, he says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you, verse 14, you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you can, you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. This is, this is one of the reasons why we unapologetically teach children from the Bible through our Sunday school and children's church, Awana, uh, summer ministries. We don't, we don't, we don't turn back and away from teaching children the scriptures from their earliest times. It's a high value for us and it's, it's always been that way. Um, sorry, uh, just a little aside there. Verse 15, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. If you were um, here last Sunday when Pastor Stephen was speaking, or maybe you caught, caught up online, uh, as I did during the week at BethanyChurchFresno.com, you can always listen to our messages there, uh, you may remember that Paul had laid out what to expect in these last days that we are in right now, and the danger of false teachers and, and uh, religious hypocrites who take advantage of vulnerable people in their proud and greedy and reckless ways. Paul warned us against kind of looking godly, but not having any power of God in our lives. It's a pretty sobering passage that you looked at last week. So by contrast, now in verse 10, Paul's laying out his own credentials. He's not not boasting, but he's he's just transparent. He's just clear about his his teaching and his lifestyle and his his life's purpose. He's, He's earned credibility through suffering. Paul mentions Antioch. At Antioch, he was he was run out of run out of the town for preaching the gospel. In in uh, Iconium, he was persecuted and death threatened, and he escaped with his life. And in Lystra, he was mobbed and stoned to death, and or stoned and left for dead. We're not quite clear if he died and was raised to life, or if he if he was not dead, but God healed him regardless. Uh, pretty remarkable things that happened to him. And then, in verse 12, Paul brings out this lovely promise that, for some reason, um, never makes it onto, like, Christian calendars and wall art and pretty Facebook memes. Um, this verse that says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's quite the promise, isn't it? Um, it's not something we typically put in the how to become a Christian brochure, is it? 
But it's true. To follow Christ, you're going to be swimming against the currents of culture and religion, and you will, at some point, suffer persecution or opposition. Now, opposition is no reason to give up. If anything, opposition may prove that you're on the right track. Right? Think, for example, of a, say, let's say a high school student who, who stands up for what is right. And she doesn't cheat or get naked with her boyfriend or cuss with the cool kids. Right? Doing the right thing may be tough. In fact, it is often. But the moment they give in, no one says, oh, good, we really respect you now. In fact, quite the opposite. Going against the flow is what earns them some long-term respect. So, Paul goes on then in verse 14, the first part of verse 14, he says, You, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you were taught. Hang in there, he's saying. Well, you know, even when other well-meaning Christians may twist Scripture to fit with culture and fit with social pressure, if you're already a believer, he's saying, do not change course now. Hang in there. And if you're not a believer yet, Paul would say, keep seeking the truth that leads you to a friendship with Jesus, not a friendship with the world. Don't seek out ways to be popular with the crowd. Seek ways to... Enjoy the favor and approval of God. I think Paul is sort of waving a, a big flag at Timothy and getting his attention, saying, Hang on, Timothy! Hang on! I know it's hard. I know people are against you. I know other teachings are more popular right now. I, I know you're a bit unsure at the moment. But look over here, Timothy. Look over here. Look at me. Watch what I do. I've stood for the truth. And you can do it too. I suffered for it. And you will too. But hang in there. Look how I'm following Christ. And do that. No matter what. I think that's what, what Paul's really trying to grab Timothy in this. In other words, one of Paul's tactics, and we're going to talk about kind of a two-pronged anchor, one of his tactics to hold steady in the negative current is to find meaningful, godly friendships. We'd say it this way, to get yourself around godly people. If you're taking notes today, you can write that down. Get yourself around godly people. Paul might have been one of the only voices supporting Timothy in this hard time. As you read um, Ephesians and as you read First and Second Timothy, he really, Timothy really had some challenges in his ministry work. And um, you too might feel alone in your Christian faith in your workplace or in your family or in your neighborhood um, or you may feel alone in your search for truth. Right? You look at the people around you who seem to do just fine. Maybe they seem to do better than you do and, they, and they're, they've rejected God. They're not interested. And, or maybe they're following the sort of latest consumer version of Christianity and you think, man, why does it all work out for them? And I'm having a hard time. We've got churches that have that have changed foundational doctrines, essential doctrines on sin and sex and marriage and hell and heaven. And it's easy to think after a while, well, maybe they're, maybe they're right. It sounds really good. It makes so much sense. Maybe they're right after all. Maybe, maybe the Bible isn't true after all. You find yourself kind of second-guessing when it seems to work so well for those. 
And Paul would say, no, stick to the truth. Hang on. Stick to the truth you were taught. Why? Because you can trust those who taught you. In Timothy's case, he was taught by his, his godly mother and his godly grandmother. We read about that earlier. He's, he's mentored by Paul. But he's also taught by the writings of Moses and David and the prophets. He can trust, and you know, in all of Scripture, he can trust those who've been teaching him. And you can too. I think Paul would say, listen to and make friends with people who don't just sound good, but people who have an actual friendship with Jesus. Have you met somebody, you just, you meet them and you're like, wow, that, that person, that person's unique. They, they just, it's real for them. You want to be around people like that. They're not selfish and proud and rebellious and entitled and unloving and slanderous and pleasure driven. They're not manipulative and self-centered like all those false teachers Paul talked about. Paul has made a strong case throughout this letter. Learn the truth and stick to it. And, and one of the ways that happens is through good, godly friendships. This is one of the reasons why I hate even to miss church, even when we're away. Last Sunday, you'd be proud of us. We caught the 7 a.m. service last week. Traditional service. It was only 45 minutes long. Um, that's early, for, even for church. But it was great. Uh, we saw some things that we hadn't considered before, and we came away encouraged, and we heard a good message, and, and it was just fantastic. And I think, man, I, I hate to miss church. And I would just encourage you. This is just an aside. If you're, if you get away for a vacation or you're traveling, man, take the opportunity to visit a church in another town. If something's you like there, take notes. Tell me about it. I like hearing that stuff. We, we learn from, from each other in that way. But this is also one of the reasons why I'm so stuck on small groups. Okay. I love good classes. Don't get me wrong. I, I really do. I, I've taught many times. Right now, this is sort of a lecture style format. There's no real opportunity for feedback. You sit in rows and I do the talking. That's how this kind of works on a Sunday morning. And, um, I, you know, I hope that you make the most of our few minutes together and you take some notes and, and it helps you. But rows are fine, but if we're really gonna Kind of follow Jesus together. We need some circles too. We need circles. Um, we need to gather in smaller groups where we can open up the Bible together and pray for each other and ask questions and express doubts and encourage each other and share the gifts God's given to us and get to know people in a different way, in a different level and eat together and have meals in that way. That's what a good small group does. Here around here we call them connection groups. And if you're in, if you're not in one, I would just urge you to find a way to reevaluate your, your, your schedule and, and shift your, your jammed calendar around. Find a way to make the, the, the investment to get into a group or to start a group. And it's a spiritual investment in your life that will reap rewards for a long time. Um, because you're going to get around other people who are also seeking Jesus together and help you hold fast in the drifting currents. If you think, yeah, I'm ready. I want to, I want to be involved in a group. You can contact Pastor Stephen this week. Um, 
I have a group that meets Thursday evenings and it's just a great time together. Now, having said all that about making godly friendships, nor do, should we be exclusively with Christian friends. One of the things that happens if you've been in the church for a long time, you sort of, your social circle becomes just this. And you, you actually, these are actually the only folks you know and you spice it up a little. Um, Jesus mixed up with some people, genuinely mixed it up with people who were sinful, like sinners, like real genuine sinners. And uh, he didn't mind, he didn't feel uncomfortable at all. So don't be, a, don't be a snob, don't be condescending toward those who don't believe as you do. Don't avoid hanging out. But live in a Christ-honoring way when you do hang out in those settings. Get yourself also around other believers who are going to help you stay in the truth of salvation that leads to Christ Jesus. So that's the first part of the anchor. The other side of this anchor is, is, uh, is this, to get yourself into God's Word. Get yourself into God's Word. Let me read verses um, 16 and 17 again. In fact, we'll bring that up on the screen. All Scripture, verse 16, says, All Scripture is inspired by God, literally God-breathed, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Your, your, your translate, if you're in the NIV, I think it says, for, useful for teaching and reproof. That's making us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right, or a little more literally, training us in righteousness. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. That's the Bible. It's all what's in the Bible. Get yourself into God's Word. you got to remember, when Paul wrote this, of course, there was no New Testament yet. The, the full, what we'd call canon of the Bible, had not yet been assembled. That would come a couple hundred years later. Some of the Gospels were circulating already at the time, and some of Paul's letters were being passed around from church to church. And they were already recognizing those things as, as you know, having the, the imprint of the Holy Spirit's uh, inspiration. But um, then later the church at, compiled 27 books that we call the New Testament today and compiled it all together with the whole Bible. And we consider that whole thing inspired by God, breathed by God, not handwritten by God. God works through people to do it, but it's God breathed. It's his word and all of it points to Jesus. You may recall uh, an account. It's recorded in, in Luke chapter 24, one of the gospels where it's on the day of Jesus resurrection and he's walking with two, uh, two men and uh, as they're walking, the two guys don't realize it's Jesus walking with them. And they're grieving about Jesus' death. And now they, they hear that maybe he's been raised to life, but they're not sure. And they, they, they're very confused about these events. And it, Luke says this in, in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. He says, Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. So that would be what we consider our Old Testament. Explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself. All of the Bible points to Jesus. And Jesus walked these guys through and said, look, here and here and here and here. The Bible isn't just the good book. 
to read if you feel like it or when you're feeling a little down and you need to pick me up. Be careful where you read. You might read something really depressing. It's not a good luck charm to, to set on your coffee table. You don't leave it in your car so that your car doesn't get broken into. It doesn't work like that. The Bible is a God-breathed library. 66 books written by about 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period. The Bible is consistent in its message all the way through from front to back. It says that we are created by God to know Him. That we're, it says that sin separates us from God. It says that God reached out to us to restore a relationship with us by sending Jesus, His Son, to die for our sin. And it teaches that by faith alone in Jesus, we can be saved for an eternal life with God. And that message of, of failure and redemption, salvation, is repeated throughout this book or these books. One of the reasons the Bible is so amazing and so trustworthy is that it's not the work of just one person. It's not one man who wrote it or one woman who wrote it. It's, it's not like, like the Quran or the Book of Mormon or the Buddhist texts who have, who have one author, nor is it authorless like, like the Hindu holy books. Its message has been tested again and again across centuries and across cultures and across languages and across generations. And it stands up and it changes lives. And violent men become peacemakers and prostitutes leave the streets and cheaters get honest. That's what happens through this book. Why, why, would, why would atheists and totalitarian regimes hate this book so much? When I was 18 years old, I was a part of a group that we smuggled Bibles into China. About half of us successfully got them through, and it was really cute because the, the security guard, as half our team made, made it through with their Bibles, and the, I got caught, and uh, the security guard said to me, he says, we catch everyone. And I thought, oh no, you don't. And when we managed to, to deliver scriptures to some, there's tears with gratitude. My parents in their 70s and 80s made nearly 20 trips into Cuba. As Canadians, they could easily travel into Cuba smuggling in Bibles and delivering them to churches and pastors around that nation. And again and again, they would beg, bring us more Bibles. Why? What is it about this book that, that communists hate it? That atheists despise it? That, that human, humanists mock it? What is it about that has them so afraid? About this book. There's got to be something in there we should be paying attention to, isn't there? It's not just the good book. For the Christian, you actually ingest it into your life. The Psalms talk about meditating on God's Word. That means to engage your heart and your mind as you read. I recommend journaling. For someone like me, I have a very hard time with attention span, so journaling helps me pay closer attention as I, as I read. I, I think journaling is a way of you're, you're taking notes as the Holy Spirit is your teacher. And you don't want to just read it out of duty or obligation. Read it and take it in. Make it your own. Get into the Word and let the Word get into you. And it takes time. It takes years for that sort of residu, you know, residue of God's Word to build up in your life. Verse 16 says, he lists at least kind of four things that, that it'll do for you. That God's inspired, God-breathed Word. He writes, all Scripture is inspired by God, useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we're wrong, and teaches us to do what is right. Four things. First, it teaches truth. 
right? It's God-breathed to teach truth in our lives. We depend on the Bible as a truth source. We don't look to the Bible to support what we want to say. There's an old joke in seminary that says, the seminary student who says, I've got my sermon ready, I now I just need to find a verse to back it up. We, we, we don't do that. Um, we, we go to see what the Bible says to us. When, for the Christian, the Bible is, the word we say is authoritative. It has authority in our lives. Authority from God. It's completely reliable. So to the believer, the Bible says, means something. Maybe to you that doesn't mean anything yet because you haven't put your faith in Christ. But for the Christian, when it says, when we say the Bible says, we sit up and listen. It means it's the final word. He he says that it's inspired by God to expose wrong or to, to bring reproof in our lives. When you read the Bible, sometimes it'll stop you in your tracks and you think, whoa. Wait, I, I need to pay attention to this. Uh, this happened to me a bunch of years, about 10 years ago. We were uh, in a kind of an immigration holding pattern to move to the U.S. And so we were attending a, a little church there and having a great time. I was a carpenter and I had, I had offered to build some shelving for the children's ministry storage room. And um, I was busy with work and I was putting it off and putting it off. And I was going to get to it, but it was kind of a hassle and... And, and I was reading my devotions in the morning, and in, in Psalm 15, verse 4, it says that the godly person keeps his promises even when it hurts. I like, immediately I thought, those shelves. I made a promise, and I haven't kept my promise, and it's super inconvenient, and it's a hassle, and I don't really want to do it, and it's going to cost me something, because I said I would take care of the cost. So I did, and I said no to some work, and got it done, and I thought, Lord, I'm going to keep my promise. I was re, I was corrected. I was, I pointed, it was a moment of reproof from scripture. If someone else had nagged me about it, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. But scripture said, this is what godly people do. So, even this is why, why, you know, those of you who don't even believe yet can read the Bible profitably because the Holy Spirit will use scripture to point out to you your sin and your need for Christ. And then it says that it's inspired by God to correct us. So it doesn't just point out sin, but kind of puts us back on the right path, shows us what to do. Scripture leads us to Jesus so we can put faith in him for salvation and walk in a new way of living. And then it's inspired by God to teach right living or, or it literally training in righteousness. Scripture has, has wisdom to help you know what to do. The Bible doesn't need to be specific about every single situation. Well, what do I do about this? What do I do about that? Because it addresses broad principles. If, you, if you're following the R&R reading plan, you would have read Colossians 2 yesterday. And in that chapter, Paul's saying, talking about being in Christ and getting to Christ. And, and he says, so don't worry so much about all the rules about what to eat and what not to eat and what to drink and not to drink, which festivals you can go to, which holidays you can celebrate and can't celebrate. He says, that's all worldly stuff. That's all religious rules. And it doesn't help you actually follow Christ and become a godly person. He says, get to Christ instead. It's addressing principles without having to speak to every single little thing. The Bible will train you for right living. It's common to hear someone say, oh, well, I feel God would approve of this and this. Or, well, I prayed about it. I think it's okay for me to do that. I know the Bible says this, but I prayed about it. No. The test is, how does it stack up against God's word? One example that really offends people quite seriously, and I'm going to share it anyway, um, is around the area of, of marriage 
and sexuality, right? God tells us, teaches us in the Bible that his design is for a sexual relationship to be enjoyed exclusively in marriage between a man and a woman. So that's marriage, that's man and woman, and that's exclusive. There's a number of things going on there. Living together before marriage or same-sex sexual intimacy is popular and it's convenient and it's endorsed even by some churches, but it's not God's good plan for any couple. So be as offended as you want to be, but if you want to live a blessed life for the long haul, listen to truth, put it into practice, let the Bible train you for righteous living, don't Follow your heart on this stuff. That's a terrible thing to do. Your heart can't be trusted for hardly anything. It won't lead you to truth. Follow God's word. Get your heart there. And you'll be okay. Hide God's word in your heart. Then you can start trusting your heart. So, how do you get yourself into God's word? You start simple. Uh, use Find a little devotional book. Maybe something like Our Daily Bread. We don't supply it here, but you can even get that online. Just go to Our Daily Bread. They'll send you every day. They'll send you a little devotional reading, and that's got some additional scriptures. Some of you, how many of you use daily, Our Daily Bread? Yeah, a number of you. It's a, it's a great little tool to, to um, keep you daily in the Word with a little devotional thought. You can follow a reading plan. I've got one available. I've got two reading plans that, that I recommend here. We call it the R&R. means read and respond reading plan. I've got one that takes you through the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes in a year. And I've got one that'll take you through the whole Bible in a year. Maybe you've never read the whole Bible through in a year. Well, this coming year could be your year to do that. I've got a handful of those plans here on the front seat if you want to grab one after the service. Um, you could take notes on what the Holy Spirit is saying. I'm, a, I'm Like I always teach, I'm a big fan of journaling. So I have a handful of R&R journals, read and respond journals, where you read the passage, you write down a verse that comes off the page for you, and then you respond. What's God saying to me and what's my response to this today? Um, you could, you know, if you want to get into God's word, you could start a small group or join a small group, whether it's a connection group or an R&R group. I'm, I have a men's R&R group, 6.30 Thursday mornings. We meet over here at the Starbucks. Guys, I'd love for you to join me. We, we're committed to no more than an hour, and if you have to leave earlier for work, that's fine. 6.30 at Starbucks here on Thursday mornings. The key is to make the, the daily habit. I find that if I even miss a day, suddenly I've missed two or three days. i got to be in it every day. And to start sooner than later, and like I said, give it some time. Something I have said many times and will continue to say is that the Christian faith is not a morality training program. I'm not at all interested in, in creating a bunch of perfect little religious robots. I want you to know Christ and all that he has for you. The problem for each of us, including me, is that the world and our flesh and the devil perpetually conspire against us to drift us away from truth and righteous living. We all struggle with that. There's no perfect person in this room. Not a one. Not even close. But God's given us a two-pronged anchor to help. Get yourself around godly people and get yourself into His Word. Maybe you have never really read the Bible much because it it doesn't make sense to you. It's hard to understand. Or you just think, "I, I just don't get anything from this. I would just encourage you... Ask the Lord to give you a love for His Word. And then begin to read. And maybe you understand 5% of what you read. 
Great. Meditate on that 5%. And as you do that, He will entrust more and more to you. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, that you've preserved your word for us. It's no accident that you've caused those many writers to put to paper your story again and again in different ways. Lord, forgive us when we've been so casual about the Bible, so casual about your word. And I pray that in my life and in the lives of each of us, God, that you would stir in us a new love and hunger for your word. Lord, I confess it's it's easy just to read out of habit or obligation or just ignore your commands. But Lord, we want to take it seriously that we'll be taught, we'll be corrected, we'll be trained in righteousness for every good work that you have for us to do. Lord, let it be real in our lives. We pray now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.